Mitchell has his head up, takes a look for feet. Welcome to the Junkyard Pod. On today's episode, we will be recapping the first three games of the Cleveland Cavaliers season. They're one and two. They're riddled with injuries, but we still have a lot of good and bad things to talk about. I'm Tony Pesta, joined by Jackson Flickiger and Corey Walsh. And let's jump right into this with, I would say, maybe the one thing that we should all agree on. The best thing Cleveland has going for it, or at least one of the best things, is Max Struess. Uh, what have you guys seen from Max Struess? And does anyone disagree with that bold statement? Uh, no disagreement here. I mean, Max Struess has done everything that you hoped that he would. Um, mo- like, the threes are going in right now, which obviously makes everything great, with the exception of that Thunder game, which they did not go in. Um, so, like, it looks better from that standpoint, but just... He's just opening up so many more lanes for his teammates. And it's unfortunate that we haven't got to see him play with really the core four yet. You know, we really only got to see him play with Donovan twice, Darius once, and then Evan Mobley. But, um, like, it's just, like, it's just going really well, (laughs) you know? Like, this is just... He, he just one of, one of the few things that's going very well for the Cavs. Right. And it's like right after that game against the Nets, it was like Donovan Mitchell really stepped up down the stretch to bring home the win, their only win of the season. But really, like he was able to do that because Max Struess was giving him the space to um do his thing. Even on that mm-hmm. last shot, uh, the defender who fell down just sprinted straight towards Max Struess and left and left Donovan wide open. And you know, as much as I loved Jetty, still love Jetty. Sorry for using past tense there. As much as I love Jetty, you know, if a defender falls down in front of Donovan Mitchell, he's not getting up and running to Jetty, you know, or really anybody else on the Cavs. So Max Juice just provides that it factor from a shooting perspective that they just desperately needed. I think, you know, so far, Struce has really just been like everything they were missing at that position. Uh, super reliable off-ball presence even in the thunder game where he wasn't hitting he's still dancing around the perimeter defenders are chasing him it opened up a lot of spacing for everyone else even that last possession as you highlighted you know the Cavs just run a very simple action with Garland, Struess, and Mitchell kind of all running around each other and that was enough to get the defense moving and open up the potential for a player to fall down and leave Mitchell wide open which how often last year did you see a team forget to cover Donovan Mitchell at the end of games? Like it was like, they're sending two or three defenders at him. We don't care about anyone else. So just having Struce out there, a huge difference, day and night difference. One thing that was really interesting about that is that's something that the cast kind of did in game one against the Knicks with Jetty Osman. If you remember that second half run where Jetty was out there, like they were doing similar things and the, and the Knicks were chasing him. But then after and then game they realized one, they don't have, they to. were like, yeah, we don't need to keep chasing jetty and then it just all fell back apart again but i don't think in a playoff series a team will just say we don't need to chase max Struess anymore or at least you know they will chase him more than that the knicks were chasing jetty after game one i feel like the Mm -hmm. most impressive part about Struess is just that he's thriving under chaos right now with like the Cavs rotation constantly in flux and not really many points of emphasis for opposing defenses to kind of focus in on it kind of becomes more narrow their focus on him just by process of elimination it's like at this point watching him hit like a same shot profile that we were seeing jetty shoot at a way more inefficient rate and just be like hmm it turns out when you have like an above average nba quality shooter who thrives in on the movement shots then they convert it really opens up a lot offensively unfortunately for Struess, his i know he's still getting a lot of like praise from both coaches and fans for his performances but it just feels like it gets uh kind of looked at looked at less because of the results of the overall game but because there was more than enough shine after game one everyone was like oh my god max truce is unlocking this entire team then the thunder game was an atrocity that we won't speak (laughs) of (laughs) but yeah, no, it's kind of it's very impressive, and it really makes you look forward to seeing when there's a, the actual intended starting five out there. How he's going to look when there's defenses aren't going to just be like, all right, so it's either Donovan Mitchell and Struess and Mobley, maybe, or <laughs> if it 
now it would be interesting with two lead guards that can help open up even more for him. Struess is shooting 45% on catch and shoot threes to start the year, which is pretty good. I, I'll take that for the entire season if we could get You'd it. You'd sign up for that if given the opportunity. Pretty I easily. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about Struess that I've been happy with is that I think he's been better defensively than advertised. Now, will that stick up for 82 games? I don't know. I'm not going to make any predictions, but through three games, he has been better than kind of the impression that I had from how Heat fans talk about him and just the general perception that he got. I think he's a very good team defender. He's also been super active on the glass, which again, when we talk about everything the Cavs needed, they needed more of an effort, a team effort to rebound compared to last season. And Max Struess, if he's going to, he, he's not going to give you 12 rebounds a night, <laughs> but if he's going to occasionally give you a double double, I didn't, I didn't take the time to look, but I would, I'm curious to know how many Cavs role players had double doubles with rebounds last year that weren't, centers because i don't know if anyone did did jetty have a 10 rebound game did karis lavert have a 10 rebound game i'm not sure i would feel like Chris the already player, has two of them lamar maybe lamar, lamar would be the yeah. only person that would maybe, come maybe, off top i don't head. even think but did he have a 10 point it. game yeah that's the thing. all right all right <laughs> so that alone it's something Sorry, small <laughs> it's something small and i don't expect him to do it like throughout i don't expect him to average double double but the fact that he's already showing that he's an, an improvement in that area is and it's a big upgrade one thing that's the most important, I think, when we talk about that is like the versatility that he gives you. He's not somebody that you can play at the four against everybody, but a team like the Nets, who are kind of a smaller, rangier team, he played the four and really just held up fine throughout the whole game. So they just never had that optionality last season. You know, they tried some with like small lineups with like Okoro and Lavert, and that those just didn't really work. You know, but it's like now it's like if the Cavs are down late or if the Cavs, you know, it's a bad matchup against Corey Celtics and you need to take Allen off the floor. Like Struess is somebody who could play the four and throw and throw Levert or Isaac out there. And it's like, you know, that's a lineup that could actually get by. And that's just not an option that they had last year. How many times have we seen them try to play Jetty at the four? You know, not really much last season, but like the previous five, six seasons, and it's just like, it's just not something that works. And as much as some people on this pod, like Dean Wade, you know, Max Drews provides a little something on the offensive end that Dean Wade does not. I will not argue with either of those statements. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the other new addition for the Cavs and maybe get a little more negative here because I asked on Fear the Swords Twitter, what's been the most, who's, who's impressed you the most so far this year, who has disappointed you? And the two most popular answers was Struess has impressed and our boy Niang, the minivan, has been a little disappointing this year. Um, I think he's shooting 8% from the three-point line. He just needs a refill. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, you brought him in for one specific thing, and that's three-point shooting. I don't think anyone was expecting him to have an impact on any other aspect of the game. He's never been a great rebounder. He's not much of a defender, but he's a lights-out shooter. And so far, through three games, very small sample size, yeah, he I just hasn't found the range. So, <laughs> uh, career 40% shooter, I expect him to pick it up. I expect him to be an actual, a, a productive member of the team once his three-point shot starts falling. But so far, there hasn't been enough bang-bang from Niang so far for me. Enough? <laughs> there hasn't been any. There's been one. Yeah. He hasn't even gotten to bang-bang yet. It's just bang. <laughs> Um, I think kind of like, it's really tough to see how even the best version of Niang kind of hangs on the court, just based on how we've seen him the last, these first three games. I mean, I think like we knew that he was a bad defender, but just kind of seeing him. He has not... been worse than advertised. Right. And it's the opposite of Struess. And one of the things that's like, um, that makes it really tough is he's not a good rebounder either. So he's not like uh, the defense is picking on Kevin Love, but at least Kevin Love is getting every, you know, offensive uh, defensive rebound out there. It's like, he's not providing anything there. He's not, you know, he's not hitting any shots, so he's not doing anything there. And it's like, he doesn't really have many counters and he doesn't have other skills. He's not going to get himself to the basket or create for anybody. He's, he's really like a one trick pony. And when the one trick isn't working, it's really tough to see him <laughs> like 
have any value out there. So it's it's been it's hard to picture anything going worse. <laughs> yeah, I do want to give one for him. one caveat for him and just say that I don't have the lineup data with me, but he's spent it's a bad. lot of time with Damian Jones as center. So I would have to assume that the more time he gets to spend with Allen or just, you know, someone who's capable of covering up his mistakes a little bit, I think that'll help. I think right now, Cavs defense in general is spread very thin and he's being picked on. So hopefully that will improve throughout the year. One thing real quick, those Evan Mobley minutes that he's had with him have been very bad from a defensive standpoint. They've had a 132 defensive rating, which teams are making every three-pointer against when Evan Mobley's on the floor for some reason, Um, which hopefully that's a trend that will continue. But we've seen it continue for three years, so why would it stop now? (laughs) Um, So, But it's like that's kind of who you picture him with or Jared Allen. So it's like, I can't imagine it just becoming magically better with Jared Allen. Obviously the three point shots aren't going to keep going in at that rate, but it's like, it just hasn't been good. I feel like the counter too is like, you can put him with a more defensively stout lineup for the Cavs to try to hide that defensive efficient or deficiency. But at the same time, you have to keep in mind that the Cavs most defensive oriented players are also some of their weaker offensive players. So if, if we only, if, if the defenses are only going to look at Niang and then just be like, all right, well, we just guard him off the perimeter. It's not like Jared Allen's going to beat us off the block or something. And it's just, it, it seems real tough. It's almost like there needs to be some kind of recalibration for Niang. It's almost like him, Amani Bates took him under his wing from summer league. It was like, Hey, the mid the ball touches your hands, young blood, you're going to shoot it. <laughs> and that's like, George Niang's like, sounds good. Cause he literally, I don't even think he's even, if there was a stat like blinks to ball going into the basket, he might beat it <laughs> towards the basket. Exactly. What One thing, one thing I will say is that that's, if Niang is going to play, that's how you want him to play. So it's like, because he's not providing anything else out there. So it's like, if he's there and he gets the ball, you got to put it up. Um, Cause that's mm-hmm. the only way you're really the Dean Wade problem. to the team. It's the opposite of the Dean Wade problem. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, that, yeah that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's like the opposite of what it's what we what, want Dean Wade to do. Let's do a degree. Let's not <laughs> let's not throw we out there. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, you can throw the we. <laughs> there is more than a, one of us. Well, just not collectively for the for the junkyard pod. Uh, not That's all the junkyard dogs are in are in um alignment here but no so like that's what you want from niang like you want him putting it up every time he touches it but it's like this is a bad take and i'm gonna say it right now because and i haven't really thought about it so i know this is like a really bad take but it's like what is niang giving you that bates can't give you at this point because it's like bates is a better rebounder (laughs) he's not a like he's not good but it's like that's where it's just like if if we're like let's play a 19 year old who we all know that is not ready to be playing real NBA minutes on a team that should be a top team in their conference then it's like things are dark so you know <laughs> let's see let's see how things go when Niang starts hitting shots but it's like if it keeps going it's like it's like the Kevin Love problem, but like 10 times worse because Kevin Love provides a lot more things on the offensive end and provides a lot more things on the defensive end as well. So, yeah, I feel like I'll the just, only reason you would push uh, against oh, it is because of the uh, the sample size. One is small and two, the track record is certainly there. And by throwing baits mm, out there, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. If you look at like yang's numbers there should be no indication that the shot should just fall off the cliff and it, there's no way it's going to stick around eight percent but like even if you dropped to like a 33 percent shooter like that would i just don't feel like that's even in the cards for him i feel like you just need like when you're watching the game i haven't really loved any of the takes he's had either if he was missing like completely open shots constantly i'd also be more worried but at least from like what like the grand scope of his shot shot attempts i feel like a lot of them were just heaves that i was mm-hmm. like why it would be like someone taking heat check level shots where you're like oh all right but he made like the previous three george niang's like i missed the past date but i'm gonna huck this one up anyway <laughs> and I, um i okay, think you know. i think the issue is kind of that like niang has to hit at such a high clip for his minutes to be valuable that it's Which he like has in the past yeah but, that's what i'm but saying but it's like but is it like valuable you know what i mean because it's like 
he just can't really do anything else out there. So it's like, you have to be hitting at such a high clip, like, you know, like 36, 37% that may not be good enough when you're talking about a team that if you look at the roster, you're kind of sacrificing defense for offense for a lot of these guys. So it's like Niang out there is, that's tough, you know? So mm. we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. But yeah, it's not just, looking, to, not going well. it's just not going to tie well. that all up. I think it, clearly it does not look good now. I think on the nights where he is hitting, it's going to look a lot better. And to the Imani Bates point, I think basically with what Corey said, it's like we've seen Niang actually be a positive contributor. To, I mean, he has the most wins of any player this decade. So put respect on his name. He's doing actually. something right. <laughs> I, I'm mostly kidding sure. here, but he has been a, a positive member of competitive teams. And Imani just hasn't because he's 19 years old and he hasn't had the opportunity yet. So it's something we'll have to wait and see with that. I do want to jump off of just, this point. Just to clarify, right. that's not like a the Cavs should play Bates. It's just kind mm -hmm. of like that's where we are in this conversation where it's like, well, what are you getting from Yang? That <laughs> it's a it's a fair point Bates. to make. If, if we get to like, I don't know, I'm not going to give a month, but just later in the season and Yang is still playing this badly and Imani's playing really good in the G League, then it's a very fair point to just be like, why not just play Imani at this point? But I do want to jump off of this when we're talking about Yang and his willingness to shoot because I think it ties into Corey's best and worst of the season so far which is the Cavs' offensive play style, if you want to go ahead and explain that. Yeah, I think if there was any offensive positives to what we've seen through three games, and it's been rough, you really kind of have to grab the microscope outside of the Max Struess uh, appraise. And um, I feel like we're seeing actual translation from preseason into regular season. We've been seeing all offseason that there was this huge emphasis on the change of play, the patient move up, shot attempts should move up. And for... I would say even though it's been some of the uglier games, the, the three games definitely show that when the team is fully healthy, they're going to still commit to this uh, higher play style. I mean, the three-point attempts that, that I'm pretty sure the Cavs outshot every one of their opponents in three-point attempts through three games, and they didn't necessarily shoot or convert at a higher clip than their opponent, but that's something the Cavs wouldn't even do last year, and they would under they would make less percentage wise than their opponents and shoot less attempts than their opponents most nights. So it's been very good to see that the team and the staff really committed to it. And there, we've seen cases where players have thrived from it, like Struess, uh, the cases where it hasn't Coral. like me a Coro, Yes. <laughs> uh, the hive and, uh, the what? and then in cases where it hasn't like Niang and, uh, that also kind of ties into my negative, that I feel like we're really seeing that they, I feel like they're kind of forcing it at points now with their personnel as well, where it's kind of making them get out of games and it's leading to like the defense just taking massive hits. I feel like the case in point to that was the Thunder game, where I feel like the pace kind of led to that 10 point swing for the Thunder to reclaim the lead to win the game. A lot of the shots they took were in transition. And they were threes, but like I know, for like most times, if you like simulated that last three minutes, the Cavs would win it like eighty percent of the time, and the Thunder kind of hit their shots like at an insane clip within that time. But it's pretty easy to tell that the team that they had to roll out wasn't exactly the most defensively stout. And when they're playing at a high pace, and then they're gonna basically turn into a track meet for the last three minutes, the defense was crumbling. And the Thunder were able to just reclaim that game. So I'm interested to see with the whole team at full health, if the defense still looks bad. It doesn't need to be the same as it was last year, but it's definitely taking a huge step back from what we've seen in prior years under JB. So I hope that's just a case of the personnel that they have to throw out more than the scheme itself. One thing that is interesting when we're, when we're talking about the defense is that the frequency of transitions that they've given up isn't all that much higher than it was last year. Uh, they're currently 15th, which is middle of the road. And last year they were 16th. So it's like, they're not really giving up many more opportunities, but what they're, what they're doing is they're just getting killed in the half court defense, which you seem like that's, you know, it's tough to tell because everything is connected in basketball. So is the pace being up kind of hurting them there? not 
playing well Okoro has started every game right so like uh, did he yeah, cause he yeah he played small four in the first game and then yeah I think okay started right there, so like just not just just not having Allen obviously really hurts and then how is is Mobley as effective if he's playing in a higher pace mm-hmm. things like that so like it is connected but it is kind of interesting that like you would think that they're just getting destroyed in transition and they're not a good transition defensive team right now, but they're, but where they're getting destroyed is in the half court. I think that's also just the factor of fatigue because there's so much mm-hmm. movement involved in this offense. I mean, I feel like in the, the pay, uh, the thunder game, I feel like a, when Mitchell was kind of operating it on his own, I felt like that was more resemblant of last year's offense because there were sequences where I'm like, I feel like I'm just watching last year footage with Donovan just doing his thing. And it worked. The thing with Donovan is it works like 80% of the time, but the 20% it doesn't. You're just like, dude, you're like just making all of your teammates spectators. And now Max Struess is just doing donuts in the corner for no reason because <laughs> he's going off ball moving. And, um, it's just, I, I agree with you, Jackson. It's, I mean, the numbers do like it. Just it feels like it's just an overall fatigue thing. I mean, it's early in the season. There's still definitely a conditioning factor to it, especially when it's players that don't aren't used to this type of offense. So it's and all be, the injuries that that yeah. you know everyone's been forced to play heavy minutes. So it all it's all connected. I mean, it's even when everyone's healthy. So it doesn't really. Yeah. yeah. Max Trees better be used to playing 40 minutes a game because this isn't going away. He's gonna be like, I'm going to make it so Donovan and Darius play less than 40 minutes a game, but Max Trues is going to be the guy who's playing 40 now. So hope he's ready. The Cavs right now are seventh in three-pointers, three-point attempts per game, and they are 19th in three-point percentage. And so everyone wanted them to take more threes. Close to half of their attempts in the entire game are coming from behind the line right now. So this is what we wanted to see from them. But this is just also the variance that comes with being that type of team. You know, you live by the jump shot, you die by the jump shot. There's going to be nights like against the Thunder where they're just not hitting. And I do like that they stuck to that play style, even when they weren't hitting. There were times where Donovan Mitchell kind of hijacked the offense and said, all right, Mobley, we're running three pick and rolls this possession until we find something. But for the most part, it seems like the pace and space is something that they actually want to play with throughout the year. So I do hope it sticks. I think there's going to be much with Niang. There's going to be nights where it looks ugly, and there's going to be nights where they just overwhelm opponents with their shooting. The key to that is finding ways to win when the three-point shot isn't falling, which they did a lot of last year. And I think right now, it's a very new style. They have new players. They're dealing with injuries. They have a lot of stuff to figure out and try and figure out how to balance space and pace with grit and grind. Well, yeah, there's been no gritting and grinding. There's just been, there's yeah, just been a Nets lot of pace. Game, the Nets game, there was some grit and grind in there towards the end. They they clawed back in through some really timely defensive plays. And that was Okoro's best game of the year out of out of the three. He, he was hard phenomenal on defense. Yeah. <laughs> the craziest part about the Cavs, though, is that they're shooting nearly 40% of their shots from three. And if you told a Cavs mm-hmm. fan last season that that was even a possibility, I think half of them would think you like had a stroke (laughs) so and the fact that the only they're only like if you had to guess who the top team in the the nba in three-point shot volume is i I don't think you would ever could think of who it would be it's a team you would also not think of the memphis grizzlies are the top team a john morantless marcus it's probably marcus smart i guarantee you it's marcus smart's volume no well i think it's like one of the things is that like it's easy it's if you're that like if you have that much of a green light which it seemed like this Cavs team does have it's easy to get shots up when the offense is breaking down and I feel like that's kind of what we've seen especially without Darius Garland in there so I'm kind of interested to see how it works when they actually have good offensive players or like more well-rounded offensive players for lack of like a better way of saying that so We'll see. Um, but yeah, like the guys who you want to be shooting are shooting. It's just you'd prefer that they didn't have to shoot as much as they're shooting. I agree, Jackson. We can go I back do to want the... Okoro to shoot more. We all do. But well, at least, <laughs> right. at least yes, that was my point. Thank you. Uh, let's transition Glad off of that listening. to get into Jackson's worst of the season so far, which is their depth. Why don't you take the stage, Jackson? 
Well, see, there's a lot of different directions I can go with this, you know, a lot of different ways, but I think kind of the front court depth is really, mm-hmm. really a, like the biggest problem. And it's very easy to say Jared Allen's hurt. Jared Allen's not hurt. This is all going to be different, but I don't, it's, it's, it's going to be a problem even when Jared Allen's back. Um, Cause you still need somebody to play in the front court and kind of like that that Niang conversation, that just isn't really working out. And it's hard to envision how that will work out, even when Jared Allen's back. And really the problem is that Dean Wade is probably the best suited player right now for the four, which nothing against Dean Wade, but I don't know. Like, I don't think his skill set is really what this Cavs team needs. He's not... He's not a rim protector. He is a good defender, but he's almost more of like a 3-4-ish defender, not like a 4-5 defender. And I feel like what this Cavs team really needs is a 4-5 defender because like they need, like Wade is a good rebounder, but like what these second units need is they need somebody who can kind of protect the rim and Wade that's just not what Wade's skill set is. And, you know, Jones has showed that, like, I don't think Jones, Jones's minutes he have gone well so far. Right. So, like, Jones's minutes haven't really gone well so far. And when you bring Tristan Thompson into the game and it's like a huge... It's always a good up, sign. When it's... When he comes in and, and it's... When you're trying to upgrade, win the game and you bring him in. <laughs> that's that championship helps. pedigree. And he's an upgrade. Like, that's the problem. Yeah. He's a... He's a big upgrade and that's like, that's not good. So that's where it's like, you know, Dean, like Dean Wade isn't helping in that respect just because of the type of player that he is. Like he's a three, four. I I think Mm -hmm. he may be more of a three, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, they still need depth in the front court and, you know, there's no path where I think Niang is that depth. And so they're relying a lot on, Jones or they are relying a lot on Jones if <laughs> Allen or Mobley can't play. So it's like it's just not good and there's not a lot of options like if Isaiah Mobley if this team believed Isaiah Mobley was an option, he would have gotten into the game because yeah, he, he would have had grasping at straws. Hmm. You know, he didn't sad for the Mobley brother fan club. <laughs> well, he didn't get any, he didn't get many minutes in the preseason either, so it's mm-hmm. like it kind of shows you they, they don't see something with them, right? And it's like I can I can talk about Isaiah Mobley for a while. I've I've seen a lot <laughs> of his games. I don't think I don't think we need to get into that now. But it's just like if you're looking for like how are the Cats going to fill that last roster spot? It's like they have to be. It has to be a big that they can trust to come in and play actual minutes. And you know this problem isn't going to go away when Jared Allen comes back just because. Or you're just going to be playing Jared Allen and Evan Mobley 32, 30, like 32 to 38 minutes mm-hmm. a game. And that's kind of what you were hoping to avoid when we had this whole conversation about the Cavs have depth now. The Cavs have depth. It's like, well, do they if you're still relying that heavily on your front court? I feel like yeah, even that- though in the offseason, though, we had no confidence in the big group. That was the biggest question mark overall was like, yeah, we got depth, but it was like perimeter shooting depth. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, man. I hope Damian Jones works out. And we weren't even considering the possibility that Tristan Thompson was going to have to take off his warmups at any point outside of like a ceremonial Tristan Thompson night or something along those lines. And it's like, like you said, the fact that Tristan Thompson is showing any form of an upgrade over Damian Jones. I mean, I get why Kobe Altman took that swing. I think it mates. It's like super low risk. Just see what he's got. Like you can't get like any lower i feel like the last season with rollo like if anything it's going to be kind of the same and it is it's the same because it's tristan thompson now taking the robin lopez role <laughs> while damian jones goes out there and just becomes a defensive sieve with niang as that dynamic duo just takes the defensive rating speaking of like robin lopez i just had the bucks game on in the background when they were getting blown out by the hawks and i saw that Giannis's brothers are on the floor. Robin's on the floor. I'm like, this is just nepotism run amok. <laughs> like, <laughs> meanwhile, Mobley can't even see the floor. Right. Isaiah's stuck on the sideline. Right. So, the... 
that is the the point that I wanted to jump on though is that Nepotism? like no 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 no, no. <laughs> okay. the, the Robin Lopez discussion because you know the front court depth still isn't where you want it to be but it's I think there's a marginal improvement and the reason why I think it's a marginal improvement is because you literally just couldn't play Robin Lopez last year like he just he he's too old he's he doesn't have the mobility anymore he can't run up and down the floor at least with damian jones you can get some cardio in you can actually be like hey can you play 10 minutes tonight and not look like your body's falling apart and he's still you know relatively athletic he's tall he's been killed in pick and roll defense he, he he's not the most coordinated big but i think the goal if you're cleveland you're hoping that Allen and mobley are going to be healthy you're going to be able to rely on them heavily and then in the minutes where one of them needs a rest you can put in a Tristan Thompson, a Damian Jones, someone who's going to actually be able to run and keep up pace with the whoever's on the floor with them. And you might get killed in those minutes, but you're hoping that Allen and Mobley are good enough to recover whatever you lost there. The Cavs are just really in a tough spot with this, and it seems like the best pass forward would be a Isaiah Mobley second-round pick type guy becoming that, but that doesn't seem to be in the cards right now. Moses Brown mm. reunion. It's done. <laughs> Mama I mean, Ikite, no. Bring him in. No. He Moses. looks good in that summer league game. <laughs> no. Um, no. I do want to I do want to stay on the Mobley's no. here, but I want to pivot to Evan. Uh very briefly, I want to talk about Evan Mobley and then let's finish off just very quick kind of expectations for the next game because that's obviously a huge game that everyone's excited for. Injuries have kind of dampened that excitement, but still think we should hit on it. But with Evan Mobley. That's who I chose for my best of the season so far, but at least outside of Max Struess. And I'll just hit on it very quick. The pros, I think we've seen flashes of aggression, whether it be the second half of the OKC game or most of the Pacers game where he's taking the ball up in transition. He's just barreling into the paint and dunking on people off of the dribble, which he led the NBA in dunks last year, but he wasn't really doing it, bringing the ball up in transition. He wasn't facing up from the elbow throwing his body into you, spinning, and then dunking on you very often. So I think that's an area of growth. Now the cons, the jumper isn't there. He started off very poorly from the mid-range. Last year, he was about subpar at worst, like basically just average. I think he was a 40% mid-range shooter last year, which is not good, but the touch is still there. I would like to see him grow in that department. And the other con is that the playmaking just hasn't popped yet. The Struce two-man game has been very uh, compelling. I'm, I'm super excited to see that develop as the season goes on, but we haven't seen him used as an offensive hub nearly as much as we saw in the preseason and kind of the way it was hyped up. The last thing that I want to say as the caveat here, I think a lot of people use the three-point shot as the measuring stick for Mobley's development, and I don't agree with that. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think what you need to see him do are the two things that I highlighted as the cons. You want to see him take a step forward as a mid-range scorer. You want to see him be able to step out of the paint to some degree. And you want to see him improve playmaking and shot grading in general, which I think we have seen flashes of him bringing the ball up, facing up, especially that Indiana game. We saw him score 33 points in a number of different ways. And he still left a lot of points off the table. He still missed a couple shots you would normally expect him to make around the rim. So how have you guys felt about Evan Mobley? I know there's a little bit of a, a mixed reaction to his first three games. So one of the things that I like, I mostly agree with everything that, that you said. He The ways he is scoring is really encouraging, like a lot of unassisted uh, baskets, which we really didn't see last year. Him pushing is really good. Um, but he just still lacks like a counter like anytime he gets like walled off from the basket it's just he just like, gives it up well he or he takes a bad kind of awkward fade away a lot of these bad turnaround jump shots and he's like mm. four for 15 on these short mid-range shots so that's four to 14 feet and that's like that's like bad Karis LeVert numbers <laughs> like a parody Karis LeVert yeah. numbers so maybe it's rubbing it, off on him a little so that's that's five a game which is that's just five possessions that are like just seem like turnovers Mm. to like a certain degree and it's like you can't really have that and as you're saying his like i think kind of like when we talk about his like playmaking one of the things that like oh we want him to be like an offensive hub and stuff it's like i don't really 
need him to be an offensive hub at this point in his career, but I need him to like find the open guys because right now, and you really saw this against the um, Thunder, is they had Chet on him, but anytime he got the ball below the free throw line, it was like everyone just collapsed. And like there were so many times Isaac was just standing there like, hey, nobody's on me. And mm-hmm. Isaac, man, and uh, Evan just stands like that a lot. DM. That's that's and 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 his guy leaves him a lot, so you know it's not mm. like it's an odd position for him. But like, but like the Evan, strays. But like Evan, hey, like, I've loved Okoro's play. Just have, have to have to be really? honest. Sometimes that's a shock. Um, anyways, <laughs> but like Evan's just not seeing those guys that are open. Like he's not seeing where he can like. He's just not really like seeing a way to like mm. help when he gets walled off and he's just taking a lot of these bad shots which are like turnovers and it's like how much do you want the ball in in his hands when this team is fully healthy if that's kind of if he's going to keep relying on those kind of shots when he gets walled off like that i mean throughout his career that's the balancing act throughout throughout his career he's a 38.6 shooter a percent shooter on those shots which is very low and it's like Part of me thought it was like if he gets more strength, that shot would be a little better. But really, I think maybe that's just not a good shot for him. Like maybe he just doesn't have the touch. And really what you want is for him to have enough strength that he's not getting walled off in those spots and that he's able to like power through the contact that he may be getting from a Miles Turner type player. Or he's just able to just see guys on the perimeter and one of the things that i kind of would like him to do is like maybe just pump fake out to the perimeter just to see if somebody will Mm -hmm. like bite on the pass or kind of just leave the lane like because they're just swarming him and that's just you know it's kind of like it's kind of like the opposite of the problem that we saw in the playoffs where it was like we're just going to force the ball out of the guard's hands and evan just do whatever you can to beat us but we're pretty sure that you can't it's kind of like that, but different where like they're just swarming him and just staying really close on him because they know that, hey, he's just going to take this awkward fade away so I can get a really good contest on it and it's not going in. So That's a good point. Figuring out a counter to that will be key. I, I want to bring up this quick stat and then I'll let Corey chime in because uh, you mentioned the assisted field goals. Of course, three game sample size. Take that with a grain of salt. So far, uh, just 54% of his points have been assisted on compared to 75% last year. So if we could see him continue to grow and expand on that, that's what I need to see from Mobley in year three. Yeah. I think um, the thunder game, I know it's a like small sample size, so you never really know, but I feel like that thunder game, the fact that Chet coming off of just basically not even playing basketball for a year and just immediately I feel like he outshone Mobley in almost every way imaginable in that game. It was pretty demoralizing, kind of hoping for that third year jump for Mobley. And I think it's kind of hard to gauge from the Pacers game because like that's never going to be the game script for him for a while, at least. So even I know it was a loss, so you can even argue that, but it was also the cast around him was like it was going to require like a superhuman performance from Evan Mobley for that team to trudge out of that game. But I'm almost wondering, like, I want to know what the off season offensive program is for Mobley, because I, I feel like I'm, I might just be completely overreacting, but I've been very underwhelmed now for two seasons in a row being like, what offensively are you really like taking noticeable leaps in? Because while the attempts are going up, I still don't, like we're having these conversations like okay Mobley what is his offensive like night to night like what do we expect what are his spots like what is he good at what is or is he doesn't even like like Jackson said like what are the counters when someone's in his way it's like defensively he's gotten better every year he's like a super like human on the defensive end but I I'm not gonna say like we should keep him to his draft comps or like anything like that but I think this is kind of playing out the worst way. And like, this is like worst case scenario for him offensively. The fact that the improvements are so minute 
that we have to have conversations of like what even like will be his go-to game if it's not going to be operating off of pick and roll sets for like maybe he'll be a hub maybe he'll be able to stretch the floor and be like a mid-range like operate from the elbow we're not seeing that it's not like it's 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 bad times man i know i'm probably overreacting <laughs> with the sample size but that chat game i feel I, like was kind of eye-opening i don't think that you are completely overreacting maybe maybe saying it was the worst case scenario from the draft seems that's probably am over overreaction but you know um yeah i think because it it's can like, always be worse we trust me with Cavs, Cavs be bang bang the yang <laughs> <laughs> um i think kind of like the thing that we kind of saw with like chet is that he has a three-point shot and it's mm -hmm. like it's clear that mobley doesn't have a three-point shot there, yeah. because it he's might not, not be it's it's not even like Corey's favorite player, Larry Nance Jr., where it's like you see the shot, but he's taking like two or three a game. It's just kind of like he's just not taking like enough of them. But you're like, hey, the form is like kind of OK. If you up the shot attempts, maybe somebody will guard him on the perimeter. It's like he's just kind of not taking them. And when you're not taking those shots, you really need a really well-rounded offensive game to kind of make up for it, especially if you're playing with Allen, which we haven't seen him do this year. And we just kind of, we're just not seeing it. Like he's getting better at the things that he was already good at, but kind of stagnating at the things that he wasn't good at. Like there's no like, it feels like the Colin Sexton conversation all over again, where it's like, yeah, like Colin can get downhill and he's really good at that, but can he do anything else? Yeah, he's getting better at it, but is that enough? And that's where it's like, Evan is getting downhill when he gets the ball going to the basket. When he gets the ball in transition, you see he's a freak athlete and he's really skilled around the rim. He has great touch. But when he can't do what he does best, what can he do to help? And it's just like that's still an open question and something that doesn't seem to have been addressed. It does, yeah, it's like the, I, I have to chime in on the Colin Sexton thing because comparing Evan Mobley to Colin Sexton just as like I get what you're trying game. to say, but like, like, it's, I'm way higher on Mobley's development than I was on Sexton's at any point. For sure. I mean, Evan Mobley is one of the best defensive players in the entire NBA, and he's 22 mm -hmm. years well, old. Well, even just and offensively, I still think like I I think the the big problem here is that Mobley is kind of buried in the lineup and he hasn't had many opportunities like the Pacers game where it's like, Hey, you're going to get the ball out this game and we want you to score. He really hasn't had many games at all to do that. And so I think we would, I'm, I'm a lot higher on Mobley's offensive development. Uh, it sounds like, but I think we would see more of an all around game if he had the opportunity every night to work on it and to kind of flash it. Still think he has obvious limitations, but the areas you, where it, inside the paint has gotten what, better each year. What do you what do you mean by if he had more opportunities to kind of like show it? Because he's getting well, touches. Mean, he's not really being fed the ball every possession. There, he's usually the third option offensively. And I just think if he was on a bad team, that was he was the number one option. He was had free reign to shoot as many threes, as many mid range shots, whatever. It helps you build a rhythm. It helps you flash more of this potential that I do think he has. And I think he's slowly developing it. I think it's a blessing and a curse being on a good team at this age. I think it's it's stunting his development in some ways and helping it in other ways. But I just think the general opinion of his offensive development would be a little higher if he was putting up 22 points per game on a lottery team, for example. That's and what I was I, gonna be like Bill Simmons question where it's like, do you yeah. think that he'd be better if he was on the Rockets? <laughs> well, the biggest problem with the Cavs is that they when you do the Donovan Mitchell trade, when you know you're on like a ticking clock, you need things to develop quickly for it to all work out, or you're just giving up your 2027 draft uh, first round pick and you don't have Donovan Mitchell on the roster. So it's like for this team to reach their offensive ceiling, they need Evan Mobley to kind of grow into the person that we kind of saw hints of his rookie season. And, you know, it's like he has improved a bunch and he is a like he is a, you know, a good offensive player, but he's not the offensive player that I think this team needs for them to really work because, you know, it's like that Knicks 
you know, and maybe maybe we'll see this when we see the Knicks this week. But in that in that next series, they said, hey, we don't we don't trust Evan Mobley with the ball in his hands, or at least we don't think that he can beat us with the ball in his hands. And nothing this season would make me think that that has changed. Like nothing in the preseason, nothing so far would make me think that like, okay, well, if he gets the ball in the short roll, he is finding Max Drews in the corner. He is seeing Isaac Okoro cutting. He's not going to just take a bad fadeaway. He's not going to try to do a really bad over the top pass to Allen that like hits, that like hits off the side of the backboard, you know? So that's where it's like, if he can't solve these problems, then the Cavs will have more bigger problems, mostly to do with Donovan Mitchell. And that's kind of like the Mitchell trade was a bet on Evan Mobley. It was a bet that Evan Mobley is that guy. He's going to convince Donovan Mitchell to stay because we believe that he is good enough to take this team to the next level. And, you know, that's a lot to ask for. If he was on, if they never made that trade, I think everything's a lot different because we're not saying, hey, Evan Mobley, you got to make this team a top two, three team in the conference to kind of justify the Donovan Mitchell trade. So it's just kind of like, it's the burden of success for um, him. And that's kind of how we're, how fair, fair or not, that's how we're going to have to judge him. There's just too many mouths to feed. If Donovan requires a certain amount, Darius is going to take less and Darius is going to get less looks to give to others. So when we're watching sets with Mitchell and Mobley together, like in that um, Thunder game, I'm like, I don't really feel like there's going to be many cases in which Mitchell's going to be generating looks for Evan. It's kind of like, hey, Evan, why don't you come up here and set me this pick real quick so I can kind of get to my spot. And then it, it's almost like Evan just kind of fades away into the background. <laughs> yeah, and like, I definitely agree that obviously his numbers would be better if he got more touches and stuff and the offense was built around him. But I think... Like, I don't care about his numbers. I think kind of what I care about is, like, when he gets the ball in a position where the defense is, like, collapsing, can he make the right choice or does he have ways to beat them? And it's like, I don't know if he does because, like, the reason why we're so hard on him, or at least at least the reason why I am so hard on him is because you can see what he can do when he gets the ball in the open court like he's so good he's so versatile he has a good handle he can't when he gets to the rim he can't finish so it's like that's why he he kind of needs to figure out some of these some of these half court issues and some of these issues when he's like when he can't get to the rim definitely and i that's what i just want to see as it progresses through the year he gets more reps under his belt you know, we're only three games in. There is a process of getting back into the swing of things, getting into midseason form, and I'm sure we will be discussing his development as the year goes, as the season goes on. But I do want to get into New York Knicks preview very quickly, five minutes or less, try and keep this under an hour. Because uh, the problem here is that we don't know who is going to play for the Cavs. Everyone is just, this team has been riddled with injuries. So I really just want to focus on two things that I think are the most interesting things to watch for. One, which we highlighted throughout the episode, Cavs front court depth is it's gonna be trouble. Okay, you thought they got decimated on the on the glass and in the paint in the next series. Well, Damian Jones and Tristan Thompson are gonna have to carry a load if Jared Allen isn't available to play. The other thing that I want to watch is that most of last year, basically every match between the Knicks and Cavs, aside from that one regular season game where they each scored like 120 points, it was a mud fight. Because of this Kevin was two <laughs> Yeah. This was two teams that basically just is two of the slowest teams in the NBA, scrappy, fighting, scratching, clawing throughout the entire game. This year, the Cavs, again, another thing we highlighted is they're shooting a lot more threes. They're playing with pace. I'm, I'm, I haven't watched too much of the Knicks yet, so I can't they tell also if they're are playing fourth in the league. Okay. Yeah. So that will be very interesting to see how the matchup changes with these two different styles now compared to what we saw last year. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of like, we know Evan Mobley is going to play, so it's like I feel like the playoffs against the Knicks really, ex- really exposed a lot of the issues that have been like under the surface with him on the offensive end all season, and it just kind of came to a head when he was consistently asked to beat teams out of the out of the short rule, and he just couldn't do it. Like I don't 
the Cavs haven't been running as many pick and rolls as they did last last year in the playoffs, where literally every play seemed like it was just a high pick and roll. So, but like, can he show improvement there? That's kind of what I I want to see. You know, does Donovan Mitchell feel like he has something to prove against the Knicks after how bad things ended last season? You know, like this is like the Cavs. In their media day, they all talked about the Knicks. You know, every every single person was asked about the Knicks. Every single person gave a long answer about how they thought about it every day and how, you know, they watched that series back multiple times. It's like, well, what did you learn from that? What can you apply going forward? So I know it's going to be a shorthanded Cavs team most likely, but you'd like to see some lessons or like point to some little like a couple instances where you're like, okay, this is where this Cavs team is different now as opposed to last spring. I'd like to update my uh, Knicks uh, quick scouting report. Um, They are fourth worst in effective field goal percentage. So um, it might tend towards more towards the rock fight. uh, Well, they were were bad last year in effective field goal percentage, but it just Mm -hmm. was the last, it just was they got every... Like they had a really good offense because they limit turnovers, get second chance points. If you have if you have 125 possessions per 100 possessions, your (laughs) offensive numbers are going to be higher. Yeah, it's gonna it's like hard to project with this matchup because I mean, like the Knicks, I don't know what to expect just because Thibodeau games will just get grinded to a halt regardless. Like he's the master of just making you look like shit for four straight quarters while his team is equally as bad. But (laughs) and then the Cavs, like there's too much variance, and I think they're gonna get. I I just feel like they're gonna get destroyed on the glass again. Like I I don't feel like Jared Allen's gonna play. I know we're not like gonna predict who's playing and who's not, but I feel like for the sake of Jared Allen's like social media presence, they definitely shouldn't throw him back out there. Cause you know, that was, that was rough. And I think it would not be the best case to throw him back out there. Be a tough way to start the year. If it, if it's Jared Allen hobbled <laughs> going up against Mitchell <laughs> Robinson again, maybe, maybe like, spare him on that. Until he's healthy. Yeah, just let, let Mobley just get fed to the wolves. And then, you know, just let a Tristan Thompson be like, go out there, TT, see what you got out there as like, I don't even know, man. It's going to be bad. <laughs> I, I I don't have high expectations for that game. And the fact that it's on prime time is criminal. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. not going to be good. I was, I was really looking forward to this rematch game. And then the injuries just kind of decimated those dreams. So going in with tentative hopes. I, I just hope it's competitive. Be, uh... It will be on my iPhone as I hand out trick-or-treat candy. Yeah. <laughs> that is what it got relegated to at this point. Wow. Not a true fan. I'm watching. The Celtics game is on the is, is on the uh, big screen. On the big screen. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard, but Porzingis is doing well. <laughs> Peyton Pritchard. Right, well, Lamar Stevens not playing. On that note, that's going to do it for this episode of the Junkyard Pod. I want to thank everyone for listening or watching. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and go Cavs. I agree. Go Cavs. Hi, Thank Brian. you, Brian.